and turned her stomach, though after two years, she should have been used to it. Two years, two months, and one week to be exact. Eight hundred days she'd been in this place, serving ten to life for murdering her husband. Jody stared at her juice. Eight hundred days. For a moment, her vision tunneled, walls and ceiling closing in. Then she gripped the edge of the table, pushed herself to her feet. If things worked out, maybe this day would be her last. Dixie looked up. Where you going? Think I'll line up for meds. Again? Jody kept her tone neutral. Cramps. Dixie's eyes probed hers for a long moment. Then she heaved her apple round curves up from the table. I'm coming with you. The line for medications was already forming, though the infirmary wasn't yet open. Jody joined the queue, Dixie by her side, and tried hard not to fidget. A lot would depend on which nurse had pulled duty that week. Dixie flicked her a look. Hey, Picasso, you okay? Sure. Hardly anyone called her Jody anymore. At first, the inmates had called her Cleopatra because of her wide, up-tilted eyes. But when the art teacher learned she could paint and had made her teach a class, the nickname Picasso had stuck. Dixie's tone turned casual. Hey, you ever write back to that guy? What? (laughs) No, I told you, I'm not interested. Come on, why not? I've got nothing to say. What guy? Another inmate had joined the queue. Jody glanced around. The newcomer was small and wiry, maybe twenty years old, with the buzz cut and swagger of a teenage boy. Her name was Nate, a crack addict from Boston, serving four years for aggravated robbery. Dixie cocked a thumb at Jody. Reporter wrote to her, wants to do a story. Awesome! I'm not meeting him. Bullshit! You should do it! Nate's angular face lit up. Me? I'd take a visit from anyone on the outside. It's a distraction, right? Dixie nodded. That's what I said. Jody sighed, bracing herself for another debate on the topic. I told you, he's just some hack journalist desperate for copy. But he wants to write a story about you? Nate said. How fucking awesome is that? What story? I killed my husband and they sent me to prison? You think I want to relive all that with some stranger? Nate shrugged. Me? I just talked to him. Beats saying the same old faces in here every day. Her dark eyes widened. Hey, maybe I'll pay you. Jody shook her head. They didn't get it. Talking about Abby to some journalist was out of the question, and talking about anything else wouldn't net the guy much either, since trauma had obliterated most of it. She remembered pulling the trigger, but not much else. They told her at the hospital that the car had overturned, that she'd been thrown clear of the wreckage, but that Ethan had been found dead at the wheel. They'd been kind at first, until the police had discovered Ethan had died from a bullet to the head. The trial had only lasted a couple of weeks. 
The letter she'd written to the district attorney had proved without doubt her intent to kill and made it an easy conviction. Her lawyer had tried his best to plead extenuating circumstances, though she tuned much of his arguments out, absorbing only snatches. Ethan McCall was a family annihilator. That's what the criminologists call them. Fathers who killed their own children. Not the first father to decide that a dead child is better than a child he can't raise himself. That killing his little girl is a fitting way to punish his wife. Monstrous self-obsession, incapable of perceiving his child as a separate human being. A domineering man, determined to have the final word, to prove he was still in control. Grave provocation for my client. Unimaginable grief. But in the end, no one had believed that Ethan had murdered his daughter.